Well, welcome, Deep Seekers, to episode three. I'm Sean O'Callaghan. This is the Deep Seeker podcast. Our guest on this episode is Will Ainsworth. Will is a 39-year-old father of three and husband to the wonderful and magnificent Lauren. And prior to his current career at Open Negotiation, which is a real estate-related business, Will was a director at McGrath Real Estate Agents and recognised not only as one of the best in Geelong, but one of the best in Australia. And in 2018, ranked number one for the uh, Real Estate Business Award Dealmaker of the Year. And to put that in perspective for you, it's like winning the MVP award for the AFL. Will's willingness to discuss his own challenges and clinical depression, speaking publicly about it in an effort to help others is a testament to Will's character. Will, welcome. Thanks, Sean. It's a pleasure to be on here. Thanks for having me. Mate, it's great to have you on here and a little bit of background. So, Will, you worked in Geelong for many years as a high-performing real estate agent and myself in Torquay, and we never really crossed over. Our orbits never really uh, collided, if you like, until you started with open negotiation. And I remember the conversation we had originally, and it was um, it was work-related for a bit, and then mate, we kind of ripped it off and got stuck straight into it and had like sort of this deep and meaningful if you like conversation and that's kind of kicked off a, a relationship that mate I really value I've got to say because you know having you know good meaningful fulfilling conversations with people is something that's really enriching and mate, it's been great to get to know you over the last whatever it may be 12 months. Yeah likewise Sean it's um yeah I guess there was a bit of synergy there without calling it a bromance uh there was there was a bit of synergy there to start with and I think we connected because we're both in the same profession and um you know similar age group and um there's a lot of similarities that you and i have so uh, i think we understood each other and where each other was at in their lives so uh, no i've enjoyed it too that's been good mate and um we have both told, told our wives about it too so they know which is great uh, <laughs> disclosure um, but mate my first question for you just relates to what i see you may see it differently but i see it as, as a really selfless act when you decided to talk openly about your experiences with uh, depression. I think you call it, is it clinical depression? Yeah. Um, and how did that come about? What was the lead up to you giving it voice publicly and shining a light on it and really bring it to the wider public's attention? I think it might've started with a Geelong Advertiser article potentially, but what was the lead up to that? And how did you, how did you come to terms with going, yep, I'm going to announce this? Um, I guess... A lot of people call it courageous or, you know, putting yourself out there. I'd like to say, yeah, that is the case. But to be honest, I I just thought it might help others. I, that was really the, the nuts and bolts of it was I thought, well, if I'm suffering from this and no one really knows what it is or talks about it, then I guess everyone else is in the same boat. And, you know, you only got to look at the statistics of how many people do suffer from some level of mental ill health over their lifetimes. I thought, well, no one's told me about theirs. So maybe it's just this taboo conversation. So I'm just going to talk about it. And I was overwhelmed when I started sort of posting things on social media, the amount of people that contacted me privately to say, thanks so much, you know, my brother or my husband or wife or I or anybody else in their sphere suffers from something similar. So thanks for bringing attention to it. So I thought, well, if that's the response I'm getting, I'm just going to keep doing it. So what do you think it brings to the people that sent those messages? You know, the ones that did send those, what, what does it 
mean for them for it to be talked about? Um, I think it just personally, um, and you know, you, you your introduction was um, great, so thank you. Um, but I guess if someone from the outside looking in goes, well, with this guy who seemingly has it all um, but is suffering, then maybe I'm comfortable that someone else is like that as well. So it just puts them into a bit of a, a box of going, well, now I'm not the minority and if other people are suffering, then I can um, not suffer in silence. It's probably the wrong terminology, but just gives them a bit of comfort that other people out there are doing the same. Mm. And so what about, say, for the people who don't understand um, you know, and you, you made that point from the outside looking in, you know, director of a, a real estate agent winning awards, uh, business is flying, you know, people want to be around you. You've got uh, great success and a professional level family and, and supportive wife and I'm sure great relationships as well. How does someone who, who just doesn't understand the context of, you know, sort of these mental challenges or this, you know, depression how would you help them know what that looks like? Yeah, it's a good question and something I don't really know how to answer because even people suffering themselves don't know how to handle it. So how on earth does someone who doesn't understand it um, help them out? Um, so for me, it's just a matter of um, people just getting, uh, reading up about it. I mean, to me, there's so much literature these days um, to explain what it is and, I often say, you know, you see someone walking down the street with crutches and the first thing you want to do is go over and say, you okay, can I help you? But with mental ill health, no one has, it's invisible and you don't have crutches or a bandage or anything like that. So you walk down the street and no one can tell apart who has it and who hasn't. So how on earth are you meant to find that out if the person that has it doesn't even really know at that point in time? Um, so I know I've sort of circled around the question without answering it, but it's a really tricky one that I'm yet to really know the answer to. It's such a, it's such a, oh, I mean, such a strange kind of, as you say, you can physically see an injury on someone um, and, and you're right. You can kind of determine what that looks like, but that internal battle is something that is monumental as well. I mean, I, th I think be hard pressed for any of our listeners to not have been through something severely challenging as well mm. so I guess if it was for someone to sort of reflect on their own experiences in and around what that big challenge looks like and for you you mentioned to me that you know there's just some of those days where you go oh hang on I'm off color here what's this going to look like and and you've got a great support network as well yeah um yeah I unfortunately it is that type of uh, illness where I don't think that you ever defeat it. It's just with you for the rest of your life and you just manage it. And, and I do everything possible I can to, to manage it from what I've read up on. You know, I have really good health. I exercise a lot. Um, I see a psychologist. I'm, I'm on medication. Like I've ticked every box and I still have really shit days. Mm. So unfortunately, it's just part of life. And I know that it's something that I've I have and will have, and it's just a management thing. So I, like I said to you off air, I wake up some days and I can pretty much while I'm in the shower go, right, today's not going to be one of those great days. So one of the first things I do is I tell my wife and I say, Lauren, um, I'm not really on today. And she pretty much kicks in the gear and says, okay, I've just got to support him a bit more than I do 
most other days, which she supports me every day. So I don't know how she kicks it up, but she does. And she's just a bit, for lack of a better phrase, she's just a bit kind to me and more understanding. And, um, and it just, it just helps me. I just know that she's in my corner and that probably turns one bad day or what could have been multiple days only into one um, because she, it's almost like I get a little holiday in my head mm. and I know that um, she's got my back and um, the kids obviously don't, um, but she sort of jumps in and, you know, there's ever a little dispute in the house. So I kind of just walk off and she comes in and takes over. So there's a really good understanding there. Yeah, amazing. And you, I mean, she must be the most incredible, uh, you know, I guess you think back to getting married and you sort of go through better or worse. And that's, you know, I guess part of that linchpin to a, a great marriage as well. Uh, and you've also, your brother, you know, a big part of this for you, having that relationship. How did that work in your favour? I'm not sure I'm phrasing that correctly, in a sense that your brother was just there for you. And I know he's, you kind of look up to him or there's, there's a horizontal um, respect as well, I'm sure. But what does that mean for you? And how does it develop that tight mm. sibling brother relationship? Um, we were classic brothers. He's about, uh, I don't know, 20 months older than me. So we were always, uh, he was always the older brother and always beating me up as a kid. And, um, you know, we hated each other for many, many years as, as brothers tend to do. And let me guess, you'd, uh, he'd beat you up and then you'd go and go and go back for more as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, it, it never ended. Uh, it was, well, it did end because it was me in tears or with a blood nose. That was kind of the, the end of most of our disputes. Um, but then as you get older, you, um, we had a lot in common being brothers and being brought up in the same family. And, um, that turned into a really good friendship when I was about 18 to sort of 25, we were best mates. Then he met his now wife and we sort of separated a little bit because of life just getting in the way. Um, and we probably did have a few years there where we kind of not do that. We stopped talking, but we definitely weren't at the level that we were when we were younger. Um, and then fast forward to when I was 30, and so he was about 32. Unfortunately, our dad passed away fairly suddenly, um, uh, and I lost my, my literally my father figure. And Tom pretty much quickly stepped into that void and, and became that for me. Um, and it was, I would probably say it was an overnight thing. He, and I don't know whether he consciously did it, but he, you know, took me under his wing and um, supported me sometimes financially back in the day. And then more so uh, just checking in, like he was always there to see how I'm going. And, you know, he's a very successful professional person as well, uh, as far as, you know, he's at the top of his game and he's a leader and um, understands a lot about mentorship and, um, and I fall into that um, category underneath him so I'm very privileged to have him so how did you guys develop that because you're you've got a like your staying power in your real estate career is quite phenomenal right so it's a very difficult it's a difficult profession but it requires a load of different characteristics where there's the tenacity and willingness to want to keep striving there's also some other EQ, emotional intelligence traits that are required as well, well around being selfless and having a sense of empathy. So where did that um, striving and ambition and persistence come from? Because it sounds like your brother's got it as well. How did you guys forge that 
Um, I don't know how Tom did, but I certainly know uh, very vividly how I did. I was the, and the youngest of four kids and um, I mucked around a lot at school. And, and funnily enough, I actually read my school reports the other night when we were cleaning out one of our bedrooms. And not that I cried, but I got really upset from the lack of effort I put in at school. Um, so I was always kind of the black sheep in the family. All my other three siblings went to uni and the first job I got was a, uh, I was a garbo. Um, which funnily enough, I absolutely loved and, and still one of the best jobs I ever had. But that kind of typifies where we're at. My brothers and sisters or brother and sisters are at uni and I'm picking up people's shit. Um, and so I, I just kept on failing at my jobs. I just did, I liked them and then I didn't and I liked them and then I didn't. And I had a dad who was financially supporting me all the time. So I was kind of one of those little silver spoon kids where if I didn't, really have a lot of money he would just give it give it to me so which is not a, a bit of advice I would give parents these days but um so I didn't really know the value of a dollar like a lot of other kids I just kind of yeah I was handed it and so I then moved to Melbourne and I got this job I won't go into it because it'd take forever but where I was basically door knocking on people's um doors to sell them raffle tickets um and, you know, I'd sell a $5 raffle ticket and I'd get $1.20 out of it and um, the rest is history. And I just, I got caught up in this almost cult where that's what I thought my, my life was going to be. So I just got really bloody good at it. And I became really good at knocking on people's doors and selling tickets. And, and then all of a sudden, one day I woke up and I'm like, what are you doing, Will? Like, seriously. And I just realized that I just had no direction in life and, when I got into real estate, it was finally the one thing that I was kind of good at. And so for me, it was always, I was always proving myself. That was pretty much what drove me every single day was I'm going to show everyone who didn't trust or didn't have faith in me um, because I was really a bit of a dropkick and for about six years after school, just wasn't knowing what I was doing. So I wanted to prove myself. So the money was irrelevant to me. It was good, but it wasn't um, what I did the job for. It was honestly just trying to prove people wrong. And I know that's not a healthy way to go into it, but that's, that's what drove me. And so the, uh, the evolution of, well, the forging of those characteristics that no doubt enabled you to uh, be in a position, because it's quite confronting knocking on someone's door. I mean, I don't think you can interview a hundred people and say, would you like to go and knock on someone's door and offer them something for sale? I think a hundred would say no. Mm. Uh, so that that's probably enabled you to just get over yourself in a way as too, I'd imagine, so that you then, when you are confronted with some of these challenges later on in life, then you've 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 built a gear within yourself. Yeah, I mean, like you said, that was the that was rock bottom as far as how hard jobs get, and I'm not saying physically, but it it really messed with you mentally because you can go for hours and hours, and people are telling you to f off and no and all that sort of stuff, and. So any other job outside of that was going to be a piece of cake and real estate was that. Um, so I, I just had a, I, I, when I got into real estate, there was absolutely zero plan B for me. I had no, I had no, I wonder if this will work. It was just, this is what I'm doing. I'm pretty good at it. And this is what I'm going to do. And so any knock I got just deflected off and I had zero give a shits about people telling me, stuff that I didn't like to hear because it just wasn't just didn't really it didn't even enter my realm of caring about it so you had a 
the crystal kind of not crystal vision, but you had the will. Pardon the pardon there, but you had yeah. the will to persist. Absolutely. As I said, there just wasn't a plan B. That 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 was it. Um, and I was so driven by, as I said, a pretty toxic mindset, but proving people wrong, particularly my father, who was a, you know, he was a captain of the Geelong Football Club. He was a solicitor. You know, he he had what you would say looking on the outside and he had everything, but he was a an alcoholic. So he was similar to me in the fact that he was suffering really badly with demons that no one knew. Um, so I wanted to prove him wrong because he every time gave me money, I could see in his eyes that he never said it, but I could see he was like, you're, you're pathetic. I can't believe you, who you are and where you are. So I really wanted to show him what I could make of myself. Um, so, yeah, that was a huge driving force for me. And so your father being, and this is a, an incredible sort of situation when you think to say your era, and let's say your father was dealing with his, uh, you know, potentially his depression at that time and the outlet for him, would you think was alcohol? Was that something, you know, formed a large part of, um, of his outlet, do you think? I've got absolutely no doubt that he and, and many people of his age group um you know depression or mental ill health was not something that they spoke about it was very manly um sort of um it was like mad men like who's going to mention that they're suffering um so yeah i think he masked it with alcohol and his dad did the same he was an alcoholic and and so on and so forth so um and i mentioned this to you once again off air but i drank an absolute shitload of alcohol from the age of probably 17 through to 30 um, just uh, basically when he died and I loved it and it it fueled me and I'd get to probably two three o'clock at most days and start to think about you know if I've got enough beers at home to make sure I can have a few beers tonight and you know it, it consumed me and I don't know whether I am or was or you are but I'm pretty sure you know alcoholic or alcoholism is hered uh, um, hereditary so I probably have a similar thing so I from the day dad died, not the day, that's not true, probably six months after, I stopped drinking and I've never had a drink since. So that's been, what, nine years? Um, I just wanted to break the trend of what was going on in my family. And um, and obviously because I had depression as well, they don't, they don't mix well, but a lot of people use it to mask that depression. So I just wanted to face it head on and say, well, I'm going to be sober for the rest of my life and I'm going to give myself the best chance of getting over this stuff. So was that an overnight decision? It was forced upon me because I was so unwell mentally. I actually couldn't drink really. Um, I was, you know, suicidal and I was on med medication and um, it was something that I kind of just had to stop doing and, I remember stopping, it was actually a February, you know, Feb fast or whatever it's called, no, dry July or one of those things. It was, it was a February where I stopped drinking for the month and I'd never gone more than two weeks in my life. Sorry, not my life from 17 through to 30 without drinking. So to go for a month was like a huge monumental effort for me. And I got to the end of the month and I went, well, um, and you know me pretty well now, you know, I'm an all or nothing sort of person. And I, went, well, I've gone the month, I'm just going to go another month. And then that turned into three months. And before you knew it, I went, right, that's it. I'm done. 
And so I made the decision similar to the real estate thing. I made the decision. That's me for the rest of my life. I didn't say I'll see how I go or I'll maybe have one or I just, in my head, alcohol did not exist to me anymore and it still doesn't. Mm. And so the, I mean, it's a, I imagine your social group was pretty tied up in and around the alcohol as well. And there would have been so many, um, so many triggers for you to want to go there. So that defining decision clearly, uh, you know, it was black and white for you. The um, interesting from a cultural standpoint in Australia, you think about how, I mean, the first currency in Australia was alcohol. It was rum. Yeah. It's endemic as well. I'm, you know, my sort of family members, not direct family members, but grandmother and others of, of alcoholism. I think most people probably listening are, are tied into someone that's got an alcohol dependency issue. Uh, it's huge. And even if you think to the lockdowns where they locked everything down, except the bottle. Like, that's like, give me a break, you know? Mm. Um, so you would have lost friendship connections and um, just, you know, your whole behavior would have had to have changed as well. Yeah. It, it's a really sad part of my life, to be honest. Um, I did have a really good, and when I say the word good, maybe that's um, in inverted commas because I thought it was, but I had a good circle of friends who we used to go to the pub all the time and barbecues and everything revolved around drinking bucks parties and, you know, 30s, all that sort of stuff. And I didn't notice it at the time, but bit by bit, you know, the Sunday, let's go for a beer. I stopped getting invited to those. And then I noticed there was a couple of bucks parties on via social media that I hadn't been invited to. And just bit by bit, each friend um, sort of dropped away and, and before I knew it, I kind of was on the outer. And that was one of the hardest things for me to digest and understand. Because um, I guess from their point of view, and I'm, I've tried to rationalise this in my head, they don't really want to, if they're heavy drinkers, they don't really want to feel guilty about being around someone who's decided not to. It sort of doesn't make them feel comfortable about where they're at. So that's how I've tried to rationalize there from their point of view, because it's the only way I can possibly get over it. Um, but I'm still sad to this day that that circle of friends, you know, they no longer exist in my, in my world. And um, yeah, I don't really know how else to, to put it, but it's, um, it's pretty difficult to, to get over that sort of stuff because it's hard enough to stop drinking something that you're dependent on and then to lose your circle of friends because of that makes you question whether you've made the right choice. Mm. Um, and before I knew it, though, I was surrounding myself with people who, you know, I started, not that I started running, I'd always been a runner, but I was um, still playing footy and running and going to CrossFit. And before you knew it, my circle of friends were health pe healthy people who I, you know, let's go for a run together. That was the new let's go for a beer together. And that made me really happy that I found a bunch of people who, um, were who I wanted to become. And, and I think they say, you know, you're the sum of the five people you spend most time with. Um, and that to me was a huge thing. So I surrounded myself with people who I aspired to be like my brother, uh, professional people, fitness people. Um, and lo and behold, I started to become similar to them. And so I'm really grateful for, for the person that I have become. Are they still in your world, Will, those people? Have they, has that moved around and migrated and changed or is it still the same sort of solid? Oh, it, it migrates depending on, you know, now I'm not in real estate anymore. So um, 
just your, your profession does surround you with certain people and, and, uh, and because I'm no longer in doing real estate transactions, I'm still in the industry, but I'm not actually selling real estate anymore. So bit by bit, there's been a few people that have dropped off, but you very quickly pick up um, other people. And um, I now, maybe it's old age, maybe it's wisdom, maybe it's being burnt. I don't really have a lot of time for people who don't really fit the mold of what I want to surround myself with. So, um, you know, if I meet someone for the first few times, I'll kind of subconsciously summarize whether they fit in my life or not. Cause as you know, mate, we don't have a lot of time outside of work and family. So you don't want to be spending it with dickheads. Mm. Um, so I don't have a big friendship group, but the ones that I do are, are very dear to me and, um, and mean everything to me. Mm. And so with the, uh, you know, valuing all those relationships that are close to you as well. Uh, you know, your brother, your wife, I'm sure there's others as well that you you find, um, you know, nourish you. What about other habits and behaviours? You mentioned running. I know meditation's a big part of it for you. Are there other other things that you do that you just, that keep you steering the ship in the right direction? Habits, traits, routines, behaviours? Um, yeah, I... I... I do banter that I've got a really good morning routine, but um, it's not something that I stick to religiously. I, I actually try and live by the sort of 80-20 rule because I used to live by the 100% rule where I would do it every single day regardless. And that's part of my issue is the perfectionistic nature that I have. So I've now tried to say, well, you know what, if I do this five out of seven days a week, that's enough. So I get up early. When I say early, probably quarter to six, go walk the dog, go for a jog, um, do my meditation. And then by the time I finished all that, the kids are up and about, have breakfast with them, then come to work. So I would, I don't say I do that every day, but I do that as more days than I don't. And if I don't do it, I don't get myself caught up in, oh my God, now my day is going to be shit because I haven't done my routine. I just pick up where I left off and, and make sure that one day doesn't turn into two. And that's kind of how I've tried to live my life now is that, um, I just don't try and I don't get like, I haven't gone for a run for two weeks cause I was a bit unwell. And in the past I'd get really, really shitty with myself that I hadn't been able to keep up with that. Whereas now I'm like, well, when I feel better, I'll go for a run and I'll, I'll enjoy it then. So I know I haven't really answered your question, but um, I just try and be a little bit kinder on myself than I used to be. Mm. Which uh, yeah. So the self-flagellation or my, you know, just give yourself a break. I mean, that's got to be one of the big parts to all of this as well. With the like, sort of a hypothetical situation, so you now what know what you know about yourself and also about your experiences. And uh, let's say for our, our listeners, they, they've got someone close to them that's going through some stuff that they might not have, you know, this friend may not have articulated it to them. They might be aware of it. Their radar might be on and just go, look, such and such is off a little bit and it seems to be pretty consistent, maybe withdrawing um, or for that matter, they might've opened up and they are actually quite vocal about suffering. How, how would you handle that as a friend or family member for someone that was close to you? Yeah, I think like most um, things, I think the person that is suffering kind of needs to acknowledge it first and foremost, because you can't really help someone who doesn't want to help themselves. And I know in that, in that moment, they don't, want or feel as though they want the help so you do have to guide them a little bit but you can't you can't have someone help themselves kicking and screaming they kind of need to do it themselves so I guess it's just a conversation about 
asking them how they're feeling. And, um, and also, I think most people with depression say they're fine. That's probably the first thing is like, oh, no, I'm fine. Yeah, you might be fine, but I've noticed that you've, you know, you've stopped being social or, um, you know, you've stopped doing what you usually do. And um, it just appears to me as though you're feeling or, or you're, you're withdrawing a little bit. And that's a bit of a signal that maybe you're struggling a little bit in your mind. I wouldn't ever use the words depression or anxiety or anything like that because straight away I still think in 2021 that we're in, there's a stigma around it and people don't want to attach themselves to that. So probably try and guide them down. Maybe you're just feeling a little bit off. Um, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, in actual fact, it's probably good to identify that and maybe go and seek some help. Um, just have someone to chat to. So I have lots of friends who have psychologists and they don't suffer from mental ill health. They just do it as a precautionary thing. And I think there's nothing, no shame in that. Um, you know, people years ago, imagine if my dad said, I'm seeing a psychologist, his mates would laugh at him. Mm. Whereas now I feel like a bit of a knob that I don't go and see my psychologist. Mm. Um, this is not to endorse them, by the way, but I don't see any shame in doing that to just talk to someone. That, that's what life's about is just opening up to someone who's quite neutral and independent. Yeah, for sure. I remember my mum um, said to me at one point, she goes, look, the courageous step is to go and talk about things. And uh, I think, you know, that's that's a little while ago now, but that was that transition from, say, our father's or our parents' generation to ours. And there was that, I don't know what whether it's years as such, but probably 80s and 90s, it was just frowned upon. And then maybe in the 2000s, it became slightly more acceptable. And now it would be you know, commonplace, you think of um, like anyone that's performing at a, a reasonably high level, they've got a coach or they've got someone behind them that's giving them some perspective that's outside of their own, out of their own mind. And and why not for someone that's not necessarily a high performing athlete, but someone that's just going through life to have the support of someone that's outside of their, um, you know, get them out of their own head. So what's wrong with that? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, I think more people should do it. And whether it's a psychologist or whether it's a good friend or whether it's a counsellor, um, there's so many different avenues to all this sort of stuff, but just, just speak to someone. Um, and I think the person who is uh, the person that's identified someone might be struggling a little bit is just to be really patient and caring and understanding um, because it does affect every sphere of your life. Like I'm constantly tired and my wife always says, geez, you're always so tired. Um, and that is part of um, having depression is that you're using so much energy up in your head that is, is doing other things other than just, you know, trying to get through the day-to-day -day stuff. So, um, yeah, it's a, really, it's a really tricky thing to identify what depression is. Um, you know, I think people think I'm not sad, so I'm not depressed. That's probably the first misdemeanor around. It's not a matter of feeling sad. It's a sort of matter of feeling hollow and... Um, and really struggling to get your thoughts together. I sort of try to describe it as though my head's got all these cobwebs in it that I just can't untangle. And it's a really debilitating place to be because I just, even the most simple or menial tasks just feel really difficult to do. Mm. Um, and, you know, you're short-tempered because you can't really digest information as well as you could. So with some, you know, if one of the kids they have a bit of a fight or something rather than me stepping back and uh, acknowledging it and then facing it the way I should often I just crack the shit straight away because I can't really digest the information that's coming to me. 
and my initial reaction is getting angry. Um, and so there comes a few of the sort of symptoms that come with it that, that my wife goes, okay, I can see that he's having a bit of a tricky day. He might not have told me by now, but he, she kind of knows. Um, it probably comes back to that point you made before about being patient. So for those, you know, around you or around others that are, that are going through this, then it's the patience because it's not going to be one conversation where you say, hey, I notice you're a bit off and they go, oh, yeah, cool, I'll go and see someone. It's, yeah. It is, you know, because quite often it could be, you know, people close to me and you just, you can almost, it's almost impossible to break through. But then, you know, if you're there and if you're persisting with being patient, then, I mean, that's, that just might enable at the right point in time, you're there, you're available, you you put whatever, as you said, you know, you might fire off the handle or, or get a bit angry, a bit cross or a bit withdrawn. You know, the person that's around to persist, there could be that time where you just do it one more time and just be around them and there's, there's a bit of daylight there and the opportunity arrives. But yeah, it's mm. a marathon, isn't it? It's not a sprint. A hundred percent. And that is one of the mantras I live by. And that was, I mean, that was work related, but it's also um, life related as well. So uh, well said, Sean. Um, mate, it's been awesome to chat and I would love to, <laughs> so many more questions, but um, look, this is the, the purpose of this was really just for us to have a chat and work through it because I think for anyone that's listening, um, if you've got, I guess the, the, the confronted with these sorts of things and we wanted to give this airplay, this conversation to realize that, it's cool to talk about. There's not really defined solutions. It's really just about having a round table and, and working through it. It's ongoing. This, this, this situation that people are going to be confronted with stresses and, can, and challenges is not going away anytime soon. So the more of us that are out there that can get match fit around these things, then the better a community we can all be. So, Will, a huge thank you, mate. I really appreciate your time. It's been awesome. And, um, mate, very, again, I'll say selfless act. I know you do this out of... Uh, just the need for others but mate, to share this I'm sure is going to make a difference for someone else and um, mate, I'm honoured to have you on the show. Mate, I really appreciate those words and um, it's so cliche but and I can't believe I'm even saying this it sounds so cliche but it is if one person out there does get something out of this and I think you and I have had a, a massive win in life um, regardless of what happens after this and I just want to commend you for what you're doing um, with this podcast series too it takes a lot of time effort stress to put something like this together and you know you and i've spoken about it a few times and it's speaking of selfless acts you're not doing this for for business or for kudos or anything like that you're literally doing this to um help people out there so mate full credit to you and i'm really proud of you for doing this well thank you mate i appreciate that too and if people want to get in touch with you i know you you you, you do have a mentoring role for people as well. You, you look after others. Um, you're a great support for other people. If they want to get in touch with you, mm. uh, Facebook and Insta perhaps. Yeah, yeah. They're more than welcome to uh, uh, follow me on Instagram. It's just my name. Uh, so Will, W-I-L-L, Ainsworth, A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H. That's just my Instagram name. And then obviously you can just search me on Facebook if you want to friend me. More than happy to do that. Um, and then if you feel you want to private message me between either of those two mediums, I'll be more than happy to have a chat with anybody. Um, obviously, caveat, I'm definitely not a psychologist, but I'm happy to pass on my uh, advice and recommendation from someone who's been there and done it. So I'm uh, more than happy to do that. Awesome, mate. I'll have those uh, connections of yours in the notes as well. So if anyone wants to um, uh, search those up, they'll be available. 
And Will, thank you, mate. Let's uh, let's get stuck into it. And I'll look forward to chatting soon. And again, thanks for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. Good man. Thanks a lot, Sean. Appreciate it. No worries. Cheers, Will.